it, it's, it's almost reached the stage that any business that doesn't take the obligation-free money that equity crowdfunding raises when so many of their competitors are, are at a competitive disadvantage. And it almost puts pressure on every business to do it. And welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 29 September 2022. I am Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and Blaster Brewing, WA State Sales Manager and Vice President of the West Australian Brewers Association, Mike Morgan. Welcome to you both. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back, Thank mate. <laughs> uh, Mike, uh, welcome, and also a uh, shout out to Clint, who co-hosted with me or were, were guests. Uh, while I was away. Um, thank you very much. I, 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 as I messaged in the Facebook group one day as I was listening uh, to, to an episode, as I climbed over, a, exhaustedly climbed over a pass, um, it was lovely to you know, have a bit of Australia um, in, in my ears, but also it was just really nice to hear the conversations and not be part of it. So uh, you know, I, I was thrilled. So thank you both for, uh, for, for doing it. Oh, my pleasure. And honestly, I could listen to Clint all day. I don't know about you guys. I'm pleased that you're back, Matt. I'm pleased to be a, um, a passenger on this journey and not the pilot. So, <laughs> no, you did a great job. Thank I'm you. pleased. <laughs> but, it was, it was, yeah, and look, you know, thank you as well. It, it was nice to get away. It's, uh, it's, whilst I have travelled um, for Bruise News, I think it was the first, particularly when I was on the holiday part of my trip, or um, it was the first time I'd, I don't think I actually had to do a podcast or record anything so it was a you know eight or nine days so thank you very much for that it's one of the one of the many challenges uh, that helps me identify with uh, small businesses like breweries um, is running a small business and all of the you know staffing you know and, and being away from your own business so it's uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a very practical lesson good and so drink tech all the things you thought it would be and more yeah, look, Drink Tech. I've tried to communicate this. We've got a couple of more articles I want to get out about it. So, Drink Tech is a major brewing trade show for people who maybe have been to BrewCon or Craft Brewers Conference in the US. You'll know that there's a conference part of it, but then you've got the the, the, the trade show. Drink Tech is just the trade show without any conference program. So it's basically you're just there. Um, looking at hardware and equipment and but at the same time even though drink tech this year was i think a thousand and eight exhibitors when the last time it was 1700 and it, you know the, the 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 conference floor i was doing eighteen thousand steps a day just around the conference it's it's so big um but it was a little bit surprising to me how few whilst there was a number of australians there how few Australian brewers were there compared to say CBC or you know um, some of the other uh, events that you can go to because this is a one-stop shop for any brewing equipment um, and you've got all of the major players there and just the amount of you know the amount of money that is spent Crohn's for example and Steinecker took a whole haul to themselves and it looked as if almost every bit of equipment that they sell they had a working version set up in this trade hall so and, and and in addition to that they also had a full bavarian you know beer hall set up not just you know like a, a kegerator with a couple of uh beers pouring it was 
completely over the top and the level of sophistication and you know if you are in the market for any equipment what you can find there um, and then you've also got you know Oktoberfest kicking off which is a great experience you've got these uh, you know access to Weinstefan um, as, as a touring destination um, I, I attended the Fermentus sharing day in uh, Lille uh, in northern France just afterwards um, which then is the gateway to um, Belgium and a lot of the classic traditional breweries that are there. I, I'm amazed that it's not um, that either Drink Tech or Brau Bevial, um, which is a smaller version um, that's held annually, isn't on more um, brewers' uh, you know itineraries um, when you see how many do travel for things like CBC. Um, but, and also as, you know, innovation and um, classic styles are... Uh, having somewhat of an early uh, signs of a resurgence. So yeah, no, it was a really, really fascinating trip that I think, uh, you know, I'll unpack over, you know, you know the, the joy of travel is it changes you. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll be unpacking some of those changes, you know, obviously in the podcast as uh, things come up. I'm sold. I'd go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see what we can make happen. But, and I, of course, I need to thank uh, HPA and Convoy for their support in getting to uh, Drink Tech. Um, it's a, it's a huge commitment for us to, to, to get to these sorts of things and it, it's only possible with uh, people like that who did it so we could report back to the people who couldn't be there the stories that we were seeing there. So a yeah, huge shout out and thanks to uh, HPA and Convoy uh, for that support. How about we talk about the news? And the, the, the first story, another one of the, you know, the, the sad stories that we, uh, we do have to cover is um, headline Pale Ale's recalled. Ballistic Beer Company has recalled batches of Hawaiian Haze Pale Ale. 375 milliliter Hawaiian Haze IPA, 375, um, and Reef Pale 375 milliliter from national, independent, and regional retail stores due to reef fermentation issues. Uh, the culprit, Diastaticus, a version of Saccharomyces, which is particularly virulent, that got into some cans. Uh, the brewery went back and retested uh, retention samples. Um, and went to the market and grabbed a bunch off shelves and tested those too. Um, it is irregular. It could be a, a can in a carton kind of thing, but our feeling was that there was a risk that uh, at some point some of these cans could explode and feasibly lead to injury. And at that point, really our decision uh, was we should proceed with the recall rather than pretend it isn't there. Um, David Kitchen uh, told Brews News. Um, yeah, and again, you know, congratulations to them for the way that they handled it. It was, a, you know, it was one of those ones that reporting. It, it's interesting to see the way that the the mainstream media report on this because it was treated as as most stories are these days as a clickbait headline um, and not you know responsible reporting and you know about higher alcohol and things like that. But um, you know, congratulations to uh, Ballistic for the way they've handled it. Um, Particularly given some of those cans, you know, were, 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 were you know, they were very old cans um, that I, you know, I believe uh, even predated um, the, the, the current brewer. Um, in fact, I think most of them did, and some of them were close to the end of their shelf life, um, but they were still recalled. And so, you know, congratulations to Ballistic for the way that they handled that. Yeah, to me, the big sort of standout was, you know, it was clearly um, it was the Queen's memorial public holiday when the news broke. And it was clear that uh, mainstream media were looking for some clickbait news. 
Um, but it was really remarkable just how viral it went and what the comments were on the mainstream media posts about it. And I actually felt really sorry for Ballistic um, because, you know, what we wouldn't want is that as a result of that sort of prevalent media coverage and maybe not the most positive and all the comments online, that companies would elect to not recall and that they would risk it. Right, because actually, what undertaking a proactive recall does is it's saying we've we have self-identified a problem and we're taking action, and actually that's what we want businesses to be doing. So it's a real shame that the media environment is such that it actually almost encourages a behaviour that says, well, maybe we'll just hope for the best. Um, and so, you know, I thought kudos to Ballistic for being quite transparent afterwards mm. around what had happened and for sort of standing by it. A- and also it's clear from the article that they had their processes in place. So they knew there was a really clear sort of step one, two, three, four, five that their business was going to follow when they went through this and, and they undertook all of those steps. So, you know, um, from an industry standpoint, really great that they did it and um, hopefully the media environment is not a um, deterrent from other breweries for doing the same. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, um, like you said, it's not something you want to see in the news. The, um, the silver linings for, for me is like, I, again, as you guys said, kudos to Ballistic. I've got great respect for those uh, guys and girls and um, their process clearly in place as uh, Lauren Jack spoke about that um a a brewery like mine i sit there and i'm going to take notes and reach out to people like that make sure that our process is you know good and better each time um hopefully never in that in that position um i do get a little bit nervous though we do have a a strain of yeast in our brewery that we use um in one of our core range it has diastaticus in it so it um Mm. it always makes you a little nervous when you when you hear hear that but um at at the end of the day the the Going forward, we, we have to, and, and at Blaster, we, we make sure that, you know, our, our cleaning processes and so on are, are up to scratch. Otherwise, that's where it, it could affect us uh, down the track. And, and that's being aware of the beer that you're making, isn't it, Mike? It, it, is it a Saison by any chance? Because I know some of the Saison yeast. It's actually a hazy, a hazy IPA. Oh, hazy, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, it has this uh, really interesting uh, yeast in it that has a, a diastaticus strain, which helps dry it out a little further. Um, so yeah, so we what one thing we do to mitigate risk there is obviously cleaning process, but then ensuring that that, that same beer because it's core range just goes in that tank every time and just helps uh, mitigate some of that as well. Uh, moving on, actually, a bit of a clap back to an earlier story that took place while I was away uh, in this one as well. Um, a great story this week from Claire: Slimline beer cans and the future of can formats. While beer has traditionally been in 330 mil or 375 milliliter formats. Brewers are changing their perceptions of what beer is and what it can be. Carlton United Brewery's announcement earlier this month that it was launching a fruit beer in a slimline can highlighted this move. The major brewer suggested that the new category of flavoured beer catered to the changing palates of customers as well as the growing recognition of RTDs and seltzers, which often come in slimline formats. Can supplier Aurora said in its latest annual results, that slim and sleek can volumes were up generally in full year uh, in financial year 2022, which it said was due to improved activity in the off-premise and convenience channels compared to financial year 2021. Yeah, no, very interesting to see that uh, you know innovation in that sense, or you know whether it's innovation and new or just um, brewers experimenting with making beers appealing to different or wider audiences, or even signalling. That the beer is a little bit different um, through through the can because it was one that when I was thinking back to the very first craft brewery to install a canning line, which was the Australian 
brewery back in 2013, so almost 10 years ago. Hasn't the world changed quickly in that 10 years? Um, but they said that they wanted to differentiate their craft beer from mainstream cans because canning was so new in Australia. Um, but then they phased them out because they reported that beer drinkers thought that in the slimline can they were getting less when they were actually getting more than the craft 330 mil can. And uh, it just shows how much is involved in these decisions that I don't think your linear thought process can necessarily anticipate up front. Yeah, I found this article uh, quite funny. Um, and I thought there was two things going on. This CUB wants to do something that's uh, slightly different. And they put a lot of, uh, obviously, time and effort into to market research. But then Aurora's, uh, you know, stuff is all about, at the end of the day, there's been a massive surge in, in seltzers, you know, being made. So therefore, slimline cans have increased by, by default. So I think there's sort of two races being run there and then um then there was the yeah the australian brewery part which i just i, I had to laugh because perception is reality if a customer perceives they're getting yep. something less they're gonna you know and so i think i think history will probably tell us what might happen here that this will probably get tried and outside of maybe these um fruity beers which we might talk about later the um yeah, i think these slimline cans will just probably stick to seltzers and, and those things it's really interesting because um, the New Zealand market has retained bottles a lot more than cans, so it maybe moved more slowly and there's quite a few breweries that have retained bottles. And so when I really sort of got into the question of, of why cans and in particular why have we gone to this 440 mil, it really came down to things like, you know, uh, if all of our cans were the same size, it meant uh, stacking and um, transport was um, easier and better, mm. more efficient. Uh, bottle shops had now set their, their shelf height to the 440 mil can height. And so they wanted to display 440 mil cans. That was easier for them. It was more consistent as a display in a retail. So were there all of these sort of flow on effects, but this question about can sizes came up for me a few weeks ago when we were sort of talking about how many of these massive beers, and by that I mean, you know, a 12%, 11% beer, being put in a 440 mil can and unless you're sharing that with someone for many many people that's too much in one serve and so you know the question for me was well why aren't they using you know the squat 250 mil can or something that is a more appropriate serving size for that level of alcohol because actually maybe you might find people are going to buy one or two of those that they can open one, keep the other. And it was just sort of this question around, well, we've sort of, in my mind, moved too far and said, well, everything goes in this can because we've got all the systems. But actually, it's not really serving the consumer. What, what, what's your thoughts around that, Mike? You know, so somebody who's charged with selling for a very successful Western Australian brewery, what is the thinking with different can sizes in beer, you know, the, the 440s versus the 330s or the 375s? Yeah, so I suppose there's two things for me. We we only sell in the the 375, um, and then my personal hat on top of this, I I love 440 and 500 mil cans, and mostly for the the fact that um, one, I'd like to do something different at Blaster and do a range of beers that come in the larger size because I love that the community of sharing a beer. So buying that, 10, it might be ten or twelve dollars, so you know, but sharing it with a friend, it's like you know your big um wine wine bottle size formats, you know like most got it got a few in the cupboard and i open them when i can share them with someone that's interesting so that's the feedback that people buy them as part of a social sharing because you know and maybe it's it's the 
letterbox view of somebody who gets sent a lot of beer samples to sample, um, which is often you know individually. Um, you know, when I'm at home or you know as a work thing, I look at a 400 or a 550, you know, 500 ml can of 9% beer, and it, it it almost becomes a barrier to me opening it because I I don't want to drink the whole thing because I've got a couple, um, and I don't want to waste. You know, it just even though I haven't paid for it, it just feels like a waste of good beer to uh, not drink the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I find myself doing exactly the same, Matt. I've had to be much more careful at selecting what beers I'm getting because I only want to have a fairly low alcohol beer if I'm having it midweek in the evening. But that's mm. why I find myself having a wine because I can leave the bottle there for many, <laughs> many days, pour myself a very small amount, enjoy that small amount. Um, and go, whereas I think, oh, I'm going to open that. I know I'm only going to have half a beer. So now I'm finding myself, you know, being really careful at buying even lower than mid-strength, but I don't want non-alc. Um, and so it's really um, has fundamentally changed in my stage of life in terms of having a tiny human to look after and therefore wanting to be much more thoughtful, um, even just in the evenings about what percentage I'm drinking. Um, and how much, um, it's fundamentally changed the way I now shop for beer, which is why, to your point, Mike, if I end up with any of those, they kind of keep getting stashed at the back of my fridge and I'm like, I'll save those for a social occasion and then all of a sudden, yeah. 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 all of a sudden I'm like, when is that social occasion coming? Because I'm a yeah. you know, tiny, <laughs> tiny human. But, you know, then also I'm like, well, I'll have two of those and because now I drink 3% beers, I don't want, I can't, I can't handle a 12%. So... Really different experiences, but it's interesting that sort of um, it must be very difficult, as this article points out, and as you started with, Matt, when you're a brewery trying to make all the decisions to meet all of the different variable consumer needs in all of the packaging, you know, you just can't provide your product in 12 different formats. Yeah. And and, and know who you target, I guess, is, is, is the question because, and, and, you know, decide what the mission of that beer is. And then send it out, you know, appropriately equipped, you know, for, for one of a better term. But um, yeah, so but brewers, you know, and we we do have a lot of um, marketing, sales, and you know, business managers listening to this podcast. Um, ultimately, that's who who the audience is. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this because it's it, it's such a it's such an interesting topic and uh yeah whether you send us a, an email at producer at brewsnews.com.au or even just sort of uh we might start a poll in the uh, radio brews news group once this episode goes out or just start a discussion because i'd love to hear your thoughts about the complexities of choosing horses for courses there was a little bit um funnily enough um about this in in this article that we we, we took out because it was going to take the article a whole different way but Stone and Wood um, was quoted about the 500 mil can sizes that they have for their special releases um, that they said was because they wanted to mark them as special. They didn't want to have the same cans that they had their other releases in because it was a um, mark, which is where it circles back to the slimline beer cans in that, you know, I, I don't know that you would put a, lager or a regular pale ale in a slimline can because the slimline can the the use of the slimline can carries with it so much signaling about what that beer is and that's where i think the 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 fruit beer um the fruity beers from cub because i think 
they're targeting a more seltzer drinker than the, the a traditional beer drinker. So it, it's very much a play at seltzer drinkers and it's signaling, you know, healthfulness, flavor profile, all of these things that are non-verbal communications or, you know, from, from the can. And I, you know, which is why I've thrown that story back into this mix because I was astounded at the level of hate that was poured on this beer when CUB released it. Um, and, you know, Mia Culpa, you know, in, in the early days of Brews News, when craft beer was maltwort hops and yeast, we're pure of heart and, you know, beer is beer and, you know, we, we, we don't want to be anything else. The industry has evolved massively. The, the, the blurring around the edges of what is beer and what consumers perceive as uh, you're not a beer drinker anymore, you're not a whiskey drinker, you're not a wine drinker, you're not a seltzer drinker, you're a drinker. And, you know, this is rather than just make seltzers, which a lot of brewers are doing, a lot of brewers going, well, we need to jump on the seltzer wagon, even if it's brewed. I saw the fruity beers as going, well, we're going to make a beer, call it a beer, and pitch it at seltzer drinkers, which I thought was a really smart category play. You know, it, it, it's not my beer. It's not the, you know, it's, it's not something that I would have started a website over 13 years ago to celebrate. But the industry has become so much more pragmatic over that time. And I thought it was an incredibly smart, pragmatic thing that actually says a lot about we want people to be beer drinkers and provide for them as opposed to uh, leaving the category. So There's an article that I'd come across in the last few days by Kate Bernau in Craft Beer and Brewing and it's called Drinkers Decoded, What Market Research Says About Today's Consumers. And essentially it's a really fascinating read. I think it's definitely applicable to all the things that we've been saying. But one of the conclusions founded in research um, in this article was that people – uh, in particular, uh, the Generation Z, so the new drinkers, do not identify themselves in a category. So they very mm. much are, I'm a drinker and on this occasion or in this particular style, I'm going to consume this. And actually what it's called matters less to me, um, that it's got the flavour profile of what I want and the labels matter less. And so when you think about, you know, the point you were making about how these cans signal to different signal drinkers. That, yeah. It's incredibly clear that organisations the size, scale and, and with the resources that CUB are making these decisions founded in research. So they yep. are saying there is a drinker, um, we have a profile, a customer profile for that drinker and we want to create a product that we think that they will like. They have elected to call it fruity beer and and I know there was a, a whole host of conversations about what is that traditional versus not and so on and so forth and that's not sort of the point I'm making but I think it is really fascinating to watch um, this new evolution and the reason I was so interested in this article, you know, we've been talking about it but it's, it's very clear that the market, the craft beer, the beer market, all of that is fundamentally changing in ways and maybe quite quickly um, that breweries, small breweries even, are going to have to sort of tackle to continue to be able to compete. Mm. I think I have a, a sponsorship opportunity for you guys because everybody's going to have to change their um, their stubby holders to their skin <laughs> lines. So maybe somebody could come on board who's going to, um, uh, you know, like Thirsty Merchants. I know those guys are, are big fans of the show. Maybe they do want like slim slim line, line. Yeah. can holders, uh, stubby holders. 
<laughs> well, not only that, but, you know, because, like, you, you've got stubby coolers, but then just your labels, you know. Like, if, if you yeah, need, if you wanted yeah. to put a beer that targeted a certain uh, beer drinker and you needed a label to go around that, you know, oh. Oh. I, I, is there anyone that you can think of that would be able to provide that service? <laughs> I'm not sure, Matt, but I really am so pleased to have back your Rallings voice. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. I don't know, but I, the people that I would be calling to ask this question is Rallings label stickers and packaging. And I've missed, I've, I felt very bad uh, being away and hearing you pimping out our guests, Sabrina. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't, uh, Mike and Clint before him and even Josh, they understood where I was at with um, what needed to happen around the Rallings and they really helped me out. So there you go, advertisers. <laughs> our advertising is so good that even our uh, independent guests jump on the but uh beer can labels are a billboard these days not just the shape of the can but what is on the can in for in the form of a label and it is a genuine conversation starter as we've just spent 15 minutes talking about them <laughs> so if you want to find out and get the specs right and make sure your bottle or can or your cartons looks the very best that it can call the guys at rallings label stickers and packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallings print .com.au to see how they can help make your brand sing. You can find a link uh, to that email address or the phone number in the show notes or on the business directory on the website, the best uh, directory of businesses in the brewing industry. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit out of practice. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, you just try to remember all the words there, weren't you, Mark? I'm just trying to use my words, but uh, no, and yeah, we do thank uh, Rallings for their continued support of the podcast. Speaking of getting paid, DB Breweries backs pay gap reporting. DB Breweries in New Zealand has signed an open letter addressed to the New Zealand government in an effort to introduce mandatory pay gap reporting legislation. Signed with 12 other New Zealand businesses, the letter is part of a campaign led by Mind the Gap, a public pay gap registry that launched in March earlier this year. As outlined in its sustainability report published last month, DB Breweries has maintained a 0% gender pay gap as measured by the New Zealand government standard since 2018. And uh, from memory in the article, but according to that they still weren't uh, zero according to another metric, uh, another separate metric, uh, which I found very, very interesting. So um, I'll, I'll hand over to you guys again. This is one of those stories that when you see businesses advocate against you know, asking government not to bring in change that they may not necessarily agree with the fact that you've got a business asking the government to make uh, reporting mandatory tells me that they're pretty proud of the efforts that they've made already and they see that this is a very good publicity thing but then again you know the, the marketing element aside it's a very good initiative yeah i spotted this one obviously um because it's you know db one of the largest breweries in new zealand but you know they've talked about that heineken their parent company has um standards and that's where you know they were they were there was a zero percent uh pay gap according to the new zealand framework but a two percent pay gap according to the heineken framework uh lion also signed the letter in nz um and they announced that they've got a one percent pay gap and i guess the piece for me that is really interesting is sort of the news is twofold one your point matt they clearly don't have a pay gap um otherwise they wouldn't be advocating for this to be brought in but, you know, we keep coming back to we're in such a talent crisis at the moment as an industry on both sides of the Tasman. 
um, in terms of being able to attract and retain. Uh, I can tell you looking at the Brews News jobs that requests that, that come in daily from from breweries across the country in Australia advertising, you know, the competition for talent is so fierce. And so being able to publicly and very clearly and under a metric that is guided saying, um, dear 50% of the potential workforce, you will be treated equally and fairly in our workplace um, really is something that if you can um, take your talent to any business is on sure something that you would consider. And so I really think this is a sign for even small breweries in terms of really thinking about talent and competition and what they need to be doing to secure talent going forward, which is to create workspaces that are um, open you know, for all of the potential talent pool in the con- available. So that's where I sort of went in my mind. Yeah, for me, I just yeah, it was a great, great article. It was something I didn't realise you could do was lobby the government to um to make sure that they put the legislation. So I thought that was great. And it's just come to work stuff, isn't it? And it's a shame we have to talk about it. I'm so glad it is being spoken about in, in, in these sort of levels. Um, And, you know, I found the Heineken's, uh, whatever their framework is, must be super interesting for them to not be meeting it, which is um, hilarious. I thought it would be pretty, pretty straightforward, but obviously not. Yeah, I mean, what that says is that big beer and beer generally is business, right? Like it's it's a business at the end of the day. And so the fact that a large multinational like Heineken has invested in creating these frameworks, it's because they know, um, you know, um, sustainability, all of these things, you know, they're good for business um, as we've, you know, seen them keep rolling out. But um, that's why the big, big brewers do it. They're not doing it... Um, and I say this with love, but they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because it's good business. So it's good business for large breweries, medium breweries and small breweries to be getting onto all of these initiatives and it's good business because it means that they can attract high-quality talent um, amongst other things. So great. So moving on to new breweries, new brewery for Launceston, Duquesne Brewing in Launceston has opened its $2.8 million brewery and dining hall, founded by Will Horan and Sam Reed, who also co-founded Willie Smith's Cider and Willie Smith's Apple Shed. The venue covers 1,500 square metres and operates as an on-site brewery featuring function spaces, private dining room and a cellar door hub. Also, Freshwater Brewing opens in Brookvale. One year after releasing its first beer, Freshwater Brewing has opened its doors to its tap room and restaurant in Brookvale. Founded by Brent Phillips, Todd Bruce and Johnny Bucknell, Chloe Morgan Webster and Marv Slocum. The tap room is a 120 capacity venue and features a 10 hectolitre three vessel system, a bar and 14 taps in kitchen. So uh, breweries still open. We're still tracking, I think it's over 100 new breweries in planning, uh, Sabrina. Yeah, at various stages of sort of, they might be a brewery, yep. Physical brewery. Physical breweries, yeah, not 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 just uh, brands, which uh, add adds to that number. Mike, how how are things looking in WA in terms, you know, from from your Wabba perspective? Have you got a, a lot of breweries coming through the uh, planning process? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely seeing it, and and even for for me, I feel like I've got a pretty good finger on the pulse over here. Always finding somebody new that's coming out of the woodwork. Um, in fact, one reached out to me personally the other week. Um, through not not even through Wabba, sorry, but just um, they're they've got all the planning and so forth in place and waiting there. Uh, their kid arrived and all the pieces, there were so many pieces missing and things were not up to Australian standards. So the the poor guys and girls are trying to get, at least just get the doors open and put some beers on tap. So they reached out and asked if they could buy some some kegs. So I think they're hoping to open in a, in a few weeks. And that was a actually an example of a regional one in uh, Geraldton over here in, in WA. So um, 
Yeah, and we, we'll constantly at Wobba get emails of people looking to start things, um, majority of them being uh, with, with premises, not, not just um, contracts and, and things like that, starting the brand before the premise sort of thing. So, yeah, always coming out of the woodwork, definitely. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I think it's really good to see, and I'm sure if Clint was here, he would be talking about sort of he'd be able to give us some more insight into the Tasmania side of having great breweries down there and more craft, but it just sort of seems... What I always find fascinating is it's much easier to track a brewery opening when they're closing. You know, it's really we keep on top of it here at Brews News, but you go through and, and just the social media stops updating. And it's really hard well, to Well, no of one tell. wants to talk about a closure. Everyone wants to talk about an opening. Oh, um, of course. And, and it's understandable. Um, of course, but it would just be really interesting to see, you know, in terms of sort of overall volume, whether there's going to be a tipping point in which the number of closures becomes more than the number of openings because right now we're still very much at the number of breweries opening is far exceeds the number of breweries that are closing in any in any region in any area but it'll be interesting to see whether a tipping point comes right yeah well at at the moment um i think the tipping point isn't closures or anything like this and uh we brings us to a new segment that you uh, oh, yes. in, introduced when I was away, which is the show me the money segment, uh, <laughs> investment raises. I, think I wasn't sure if I'd up. be allowed to keep this, Matt. So I called it show me the money slash free money. <laughs> well, at, at, at the rate that equity crowdfunding, you know, it, 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 as a couple of topics have over the years, um, you know, they've become bingo-ified because we talk about them so often. Um, but you know, Behemoth Brewing have gone live with their current uh, raise of $2 million uh, at close 30th of October. Wilson's Brewing is still in an expression of interest phase on Birchall. Um, your mates have announced expression of interest on Birchall. Black Flag in Queensland, also on the Sunshine Coast, announced that they would uh, open their raise in October 22, I think also on Birchall. I, I genuinely, and without going through a, a lot of things that w- we've said in the past, I genuinely think that despite the number of brewers who always privately um, contact me to say that they agree with my sentiments about equity crowdfunding um, and the number of them who are actually really upset by the equity crowdfundings that are being raised, it's almost reached the stage that any business that doesn't take the obligation-free money that equity crowdfunding raises when so many of their competitors are, are at a competitive disadvantage. And it almost puts pressure on every business to do it. Because, you know, if, if the business down the road suddenly gets half a million dollars that it never has to pay back, it never has to service debt on, it doesn't, and, and you know, in, in some uh, examples, doesn't even have to do the things that it said it was going to do when it raised the money. Um, that's a huge competitive disadvantage that you're at just to keep your integrity. I, I, I think we're going to see more of them. I think that it's, I mean, that's why, that's why I added as a segment. Like, I don't think this is going away. No. Um, but I think it's important for the industry to understand, you know, of all of the things that have distorted um, and had a significant impact on industry trajectory. Um, in the last two years, we've seen the introduction of the um, $350,000 excise threshold, which has fundamentally changed. You know, uh, we track uh, brewery openings and we've got another three or four that are in hotels. 
Well, that's what I was going to say about that. Yeah, so on that, it's pubs that were once where brewers wanted to get their beer on tap. Now make their own beer, so and, taps are... And now so, making their own beer and keeping the 350000 and becoming competitors because they're pubs, they're becoming competitors to the breweries, and that has almost uh, exclusively been created by this excise um, that makes it... And also, to be fair, the attractiveness of... Um, a brewery as a place to go because people were no longer going to hotels. Pubs, so they yep. are actually buying back the competitive edge that craft beer has created. So, but if we look in the last sort of 12 months to two years, aside from COVID, we've got the introduction of that tax free, uh, uh, excise free threshold, and we have the rise of these of free money. Um, through free obligation money through capital raises. And those two things combined, I don't want to say are distorting the market, but are fundamentally changing the market that craft beer was operating in three, four, five years ago. You combine that with the types of topics we've been talking about is most people no longer identify. New drinkers do not identify as craft beer drinkers. They identify as drinkers. And the market that we're operating in, that breweries are operating in, is fundamentally different. And I just think, um, you know, it raises all sorts of questions around um, things that sort of independent breweries in particular used to stand for um, and independence and all of those questions at transparency in a whole host of ways. It is just changing our market and I think it's, it's just going to raise questions. Um, it's going to raise a lot of questions as we go forward. Fundamentally, I don't dislike the idea that you don't have to go to a bank or an IPO to raise capital in a less formal way. But this new model, um, you know, like we saw with CDOs leading to the great financial crisis in 2008, like there was just no regulation around it suddenly it becomes all pervasive um, and the, the, the washout for the industry is, is if enough people get burned by these things that are marketed as an investment, um, that most people will never see a return on their investment. In fact, I'd be surprised if anyone will ever see a return on their investment. Um, but then also, you know, you see breweries that don't do what they say, they, they're not reporting, you know, the, the, the way they're meant to do. There's certainly no annual general meetings for, for a lot of them. And, you know, it, 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 it's obligation-free money that is putting pressure on everyone to do it. And I think that's problematic. Um, and, you know, it, it's, again, even the platforms that are meant to, that on one level hold themselves out as being, you know, um, some form of regulation until they actually are held to account and then they sort of say, well, we do our, what the legislation says, which is next to nothing. Um, there, there's just no accountability for it and it's too small for any of the regulatory bodies to actually supervise. Mm. I'm super fascinated by this, this area because uh, especially coming from a, a finance background and I almost, uh, listening to you guys, I almost see this, it's like a two call it two speed or two operating systems in the industry. So um, one, one question I sort of have out there in the ether is, uh, are these people say they do an expression of interest for a, 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 quite a large crowdsource fund? Um, are they going to their bank first, being declined and then looking at this option? My gut says mm -hmm. no. And, and that's fine. You, it's really great that we have other options out there to grow businesses. 
But then mm. this, this two operating system is like, so the, let's just take a brewery that's gone to the bank. The internal pressures of that brewery are completely different to the internal pressures of the, the brewery that did get crowdsource funding. So um, let's just say brewery, brewery A who went to the bank, um, as the market grows and more crowdsource funding and things like that become available for people to start businesses and the, you know, the, the pie is not getting any bigger, the slices are getting smaller, so our sales are stagnating or plateauing in sections. So the, but the bank pressures don't go away because those, the, you know, all those payments and things like that need to, be, need to be made. Whereas if a crowdsource funding on the other operating system goes, oh, well, uh, we're starting to stagnate, guys. Hey, do you know what? We could actually, let's, I don't know, let's put a little tap room in another site and um, let's just go crowdsource fund another million bucks and make that happen. So you know, so you could literally ca- you could literally capital raise your cash flow almost as well. Which yeah. Is, it's, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Let's say all these people are doing it with inside the the realms of what is possible. Um, and there's yep. nothing wrong with that. I, I I do personally foresee that. I think this is exactly what you guys are saying. There's going to be this point. That there's going to be a collapse of some description that will f- force regulation. That's going to get yeah. tighter it might not come from the brewing industry right because mm. it's not just the brewing industry that are raising this, this is our way. Bubble, yeah, so yeah. It, so i think you know particularly you know as household expenditure you know inflation increases so on and so forth that gets tighter um that's where you're going to start to see some people who might have invested two three years ago and said wait a second i put five thousand dollars in why aren't i getting something for it and i think that is where you might start to see some of that accountability come from people who might have actually thought there was an investment um and mike the second point i wanted to make on what you were just saying is ironically um if you were a brewery that has been through the rigorous process of getting bank funding (laughs) um your accounts are in order you have to have a clear business plan. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have um, tested forecasting. You are actually a much more attractive investment for large-scale investors because if you're a large investor who might want to be buying a brewery um, and you've got all of these small equity people who want to have a buyout and you've got these complex structures and the brewery hasn't gone through a rigorous process of bank borrowing, um, perhaps means their internal controls and uh, structures aren't as um, detailed or at the level that you would need them. Mm. Actually, the folks that are going through bank funding are more attractive buyouts, and the only way an investor in equity crowdfunding gets a return is if there's a sale or some sort of real, you know, some sort of um, trigger uh, for additional funding to come in. And so the irony is what's being promised to investors is far less likely in that environment than it is <laughs> in an environment where you're going through bank funding. So it's sort of um 100% agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. Let's just call them ambassadorship programs, I think. That's something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. That's, and, and that's what I should be. Market them as like that. Yeah, market them as exactly that. Um, and if people want to just give you money, for a, a discount or pre pre buy their next five years of beer, fantastic, yeah. go right. at it. But yep. they're sold with valuations that are highly distortive of the industry. And anyway, um, and the one thing I did notice is that, like talking where Sabrina was saying that it's not just the brewing industry. Over while I was away, I saw that there was a um, an esports team that had equity crowd funded, you know, three hundred sixty one thousand uh, dollars just after equity crowdfunding started. That recently went into receivership. You know that was a virtual equity raise. And, you know, if you've got a bank loan, if you've gone to a bank loan, quite often a small business, like a very small business, you'll have your house as a personal guarantee 
on, on that loan, that changes your behavior and your thinking um, when your house is on the line and you stand to lose it if the business goes under than if you've just picked up three or $400,000 that you, are, you never have any obligation to repay at all unless the unicorns come and buy your business. Mm. And, and you I listen didn't know PlayStations to... were getting so expensive. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a professional, oh, a, a professional esports team. <laughs> the uh, so if you listen back to you know the Stone and Wood story, and certainly in the ways that I've heard it told, um, you know they talk about the role that bank financing had in getting their house in order and focusing, and the mortgages that their their personal mortgages that they had on the line, and how that focused their business thinking. Um, in terms of what their steps should be. So, mm. you know, it's, it's not new. Exactly. Um, in other news, Pink Boots AGM on 6 October 2022, held virtually via Zoom, and details are on our events page. Um, so you'll see a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Indies judging is currently underway in Melbourne with the awards announcement on Thursday, the 13th of October. Um, I don't know if we've got complete, because every state and, you know, there are regional um, remote events um, so go to the indies the iba uh, website which will give you all of the details of where you can get involved um, with your local brewery that will be hosting a uh, a, a judging mic uh is, is blaster by any chance hosting an indies party no no we didn't get asked this year we're okay. going to dutch dutch trading co which is just down the road from us though yep oh another classic uh yep okay yeah. <laughs> Voting in the Gabs Can Design Awards is currently open. Uh, speaking of Swimline Cans and Rallings making your cans look all zhuzhi, um, you can vote for the best Can Design Awards uh, by going, I think we've got a story, there'll be a link on the, the, the website. Sabrina, we you've that. already touched on this one, Drink is Decoded. Yep. So uh, Sabrina mentioned this when we were talking earlier about Swimline Cans. Drink is Decoded, what market research says about today's consumers. If that piqued your interest, and it should if you're in a marketing or a business role, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Um, also, there, something that's uh, allied is the Kodo, um, who we've, we've had um, uh, Isaac from Kodo Designs on the podcast previously. Um, really, he's American-based. I think he does have a couple of Australian clients from memory, but he does these really information-rich mail-outs um, uh, you know, with his insights into design. And a really interesting one was he was looking at um, budget beer. Um, there's so much talk about financial pressures with cost of everything going up, that craft beer is expensive and brewers should create a budget brand or a lot of brewers are creating a budget brand to try and uh, you know, capture consumers who are tightening their belts. Um, and it's a very interesting, there's a link in the show notes to it, but he looks at is there a marketing, uh, is there a market opportunity? Um, can you compete? Uh, how will this affect your parent, parent brand's positioning, which is the big one? If you've got your budget brand under the same brand as your parent brand, does that then devalue your parent brand? Um, but then also, how do you do it? So really, really interesting stuff as we see more and more breweries bringing out little sideline brands or mainstream plays um just some uh, good insights my thing in there was just the worst thing that craft beer could do now is is a race for the bottom 
in terms of price and offerings because, um, and I've used the word craft there quite liberally, mm. but, you know, we talked about it potentially coming with that excise stuff. We've clearly seen it. You know, there's a race to the bottom in terms of the free money side, which we've just talked about. But I just look at this and think, um, you know, costs are going up in the supply chain to make beer. And so if you can make a really cheap product um, and you race to the bottom on price, there are, you know, the perils that are listed in this article in terms of the damage that it will do to your core brand. Well, only if, unless you really separate the budget brand from the from the core brand. Um, and a lot of Australian brewers who have done it have very, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily know that the two were related, which is So smart, no transparency in labelling and marketing. <laughs> so we really care about that until we don't care about that because we're targeting a new segment and we want to make cheap beer. Right, Post so world. yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I think there are. You could step into a whole host of um, unanticipated challenges. Yep. Mm. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. The, the takeaway there for me was if if you if you are for any reason going to go down this budget side, you you have to separate the the parent company from it, and um and it doesn't even need to be a budget beer and that you know things like for example i love like nought it, it's its own entity yep. it's, it's zero alk but it's it's technically it's got nothing to do with modus because it's its own entity over to the left and and so on and, mm. and, and i think that's the way to do it if you if you want to get into that uh, maybe um another great example um but not again not budget beer but like rover um from hawkers you know it's its, its own thing it's over here yep. and it, it meets a certain part of the market um Mm-hmm. And I think if you are going to play in that, I think I'm, and I'm, I'm actually loving this one. I'm seeing a lot of brewers with their homages to the, some of their favourite, uh, you know, um, Bud Lights and that, you know, like Range Light. And um, yeah. me and a lot of my brewing friends over here talk about, um, you know, cre- creating some of those uh, Australian iconics like Swan Draft and stuff, but just made by us. And um, and not not because it's cheap, just because we want to. It's a it's a beer you love and you want to make it and a, a similar a similar style, yeah. But definitely you've got to separate those brands if you want to go budget. I, I think. Yeah. Um, a quick one from our mailbag post from Ryan Lumby in the Facebook group. Uh, something that I've missed: Stonerwood East Point is being discontinued. Low out, and he made the point: low out no longer relevant, with no out so prevalent. Was his comment? And uh, yeah, so East Point, um, which was a, a really interesting, like it was a sour table type beer, a little bit of salt. You know, it, it was a really interesting take. Um, it was interesting to see in the Facebook you know, comments of, oh, it's terribly marketed, it was a terrible beer or, you know, I mean, Stone and Wood, there aren't many breweries in Australia making terrible beer. There's beers that you may not like, but, um, you know, and if you didn't like this beer, but again, I I really liked what they tried to do with this, you know, in a, in a space where everyone was bringing out zero alk, they thought that they saw a, you know, an opportunity for a, low, lower alk beer and having something that had the flavor cues of some of the um, sour beers that were very popular, but in a low alk format, which hides the, the lower alk. And you know, it, was, it, was, it was trying something that no one else was trying, which as I weighed in in the Facebook group was what Pacific Ale was. Pacific Ale underwhelmed so many people at a time when everyone was you know, doing pale ales and above. And suddenly they came in with a 4.4 you know, 22 AB, you know, 22 IBU beer that, you know, was so different to the trends of the time, but it created a whole category. Um, as we've said with better beer, 
you need a whole lot of tumblers to, to lock into place. You need a style, you need a time, you need a market, you need a brand, you, you need everything to sort of come together at once. That, you know, they tried something, it didn't all come together for it, and it's been discontinued. I would much rather see breweries do that and then not have it labelled as a failure because it's not a failure. It just didn't work. Um, you know, but I, 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 no score, no criticism, good on them for trying. Mm, yeah, I sort of... Um as a, I read a lot of people's uh, comments, and I think maybe it was Ryan's point that um, is the the no elk market taking away from the mid. And at first, I was like, no, that's not yep. right. And then I thought, you know what? No, I think there is this position there. And and I and funny enough, it was only on Sunday. I had a, a friend's fortieth birthday, and my my friend had some some or lots of craft craft beer and in inverted commas lovers there. So there was some uh, double IPAs. He bought cans of. Um, you know, like four point four percent Pacific House type beers. He bought some uh, Pirate Life point nine. And everybody reached for the Pirate Life 0.9. And then when they were ready, they grabbed a, like a 5% pale ale or an IPA, mm. whatever tickled their fancy at the time. And they might have had some more 0.9s and went back to the, the pale ale, then they drove home. So, and I think when you've, when you've got that, uh, you know, no low or mid and then full, you, if, you can, if you can have three, three full strengths and a, and a bunch of no, no alks, um, you're gonna, I'm finding people are choosing that over having six mid-strengths over the course of a few hours or something like that, which is... Okay. Yeah. I, I did that out the other night. Actually, I was really surprised. Um, I went to a, a craft beer bar and I was trying to get, I asked for their lowest and they just had a mid, so like a 3.5. And so I ended up getting a pot of 3.5 and a pot of 4.5 because I was like, they were my best options to have a couple of beers. And I was sitting there for the first time ever because I was driving thinking, God, I wish they had like a a zero a zero a two percent a two point five. That would have then meant I could have had, you know, a more options in terms of my second small beer. So definitely, sort of those calculations are coming into play. Um, you know, for me more and more. Whereas in the past, I was a I'm not having a beer. I'm either drinking or not drinking. Mm. Now my options are so limited in terms of time because of, you know, where I'm at in my life. And so therefore I'm going, yeah, I do actually want to have a beer. So um, in this window that I've got, so how can I make that happen? Yeah. Well, I thought it was fascinating chat in the Facebook group. It so really if you're not yeah. a member of the Radio Brews News Facebook group, you should be, dear listener. If you're not, yeah. And it's, it's sneaking up there. Like it's Well, I mean, we push it here, but we don't advertise outside. So it's pretty much for listeners of the podcast to find. So... Um, you know, and I know a lot of you out there lurk in it without actually weighing in. But on some of these topics, we'd really like to hear your professional uh, views and, and, and thoughts because it really does shape the conversation. And I know it's something that others in the industry uh, look forward to that leadership that that Facebook group uh, provides from professionals. But uh, anyway, that's the show for the week. We've brought it in under an hour um, yet again. It's good to be back. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Mike Morgan. Thank, Michael, thank you very much for joining us uh, for, from WA and getting up a little bit early to, uh, to do it particularly. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on board. It was wonderful. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for rolling with me last week and for um, <laughs> thank you. I being so here when the team got week. back together again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks also to Josh and Clint who stood in for me uh, while I was away and joined in the conversation. Thanks also to the producer of the show, Vivian Topalovich, and editor Joe Helder. We thank Bintani Rallying Labels, Stickers and Packaging for their support in making this episode possible. And thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out for another week. Boom.
<laughs> I miss Claire. 